Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, if you will, please. At no time this morning do I uh, would ever uh, hope that you would feel that I'm preaching at you today as much as you would maybe feel that uh, we're friends together and we can talk about what the Lord has for us. I would tell you that I've approached these scriptures exactly like you. I'm a fellow journeyer. I, um, I really struggle with the, the contending for the truth in my life, just like you do. And, uh, and some of the things that we're going to dive into, in fact, you, it's almost like this every Sunday, at least I feel this way. It's, it's a struggle. It's, it's, um, it's, it's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 when he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And it's, um, it's really, it's really stark, some of the things that Jesus in the, that Jesus has for us in the scriptures. It's, it's, it's really an indictment, if you will, on our lives and the way that we think, okay? And so I think there's a part of this that I would want to make sure that I invite you because I, I really felt the Lord inviting me to this. You know, even this morning as I was praying, I just said, just get comfortable with that. A lot more comfortable with that, Joel. It's okay. It's okay for you to be convicted. It's okay for you to be um, deeply introspective about the truth and to be really asking and looking to the Lord for your for everything. It's okay for you to feel those things. It's okay for you to feel your shortcoming. It's okay. All right? Because we have a big enough God. All right? So this morning, let's let's read this because we're on our second part of what it means to our journey. We're, we're, we're really calling our communities, our congregations into a, a journey of the gospel and a journey into community and a journey into service. And this is kind of our second installment on what it means to take a journey into service. And look here at, uh, at Ephesians 4, and let's start reading at verse 7. We already uh, kind of read through this, but I want to read through it again because it says some great things for us as it relates to our topic today. But to each one of us, verse 7 of chapter 4 in Ephesians, but to each of one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says... Look what it says here. When he ascended on high, speaking of Christ, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles and then some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Look what it says. Why would those gifts be given to do this? To prepare God's people, you, for works. Look what it says there. To prepare God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ, us, may be built up. Until we all reach a unity in the faith, which is what we want, a oneness, a unity, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, which I feel like on Tuesday many times or Wednesday, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of man of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ, 
From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part, look what it says there again, as each part, as each part does its work. All right? I want to talk to you today two things about what it really looks like when we talk about service. We have to talk about what our foundation for service really is. Our foundation for service. So we're building today. That's kind of the concept that I want you to think about. Every house is built on a foundation. Okay? Everything comes on top of this. And what I want us to think about today as we build is I want us to think about these things being in the foundation. And this is really simple concepts, but ones that I don't know if, if we get. I know I don't get them. And the first, the first one is this, and it's, 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 it's a lot more complicated than than when I'm going to write it, but it's this. It's this truth. We have a king. We have a king. And this is what is being referred to when you look there at verses 7 and verses 8, when you look at the kind of language that Paul is using, but to each one of us grace has been apportioned, been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says that he ascended on high. He led captives, which is really the image of a conquering king. He led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. When I was uh, a young boy, many of you have heard my speaking to you about my grandfather. And he was a man who worked for Pontiac Motor Division for 35 years. He had an eighth grade education and uh, was quite something. I've talked to you and told you that he was a lot like the man in Gran Torino, the Clint Eastwood character played there. He was a hard man who knew what it meant to basically work a day and get paid at the end of the day. He bought when he, in 1970, he bought about a two acre piece of land on a lake fronting about maybe 200 feet of frontage on a lake. And this area that I would go to as a young boy and fish and swim and work in his garage was absolutely, unequivocally, and totally his domain. He was the complete, undisputed, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you In this corner, the undefeated champion of all there is to know about life, land, fish, cars, carpentry, electrical, everything that you'd possibly want to know, Claire Hillman. That was his name. And boy, was he ever the undisputed champion. When you walked on, when I went into the long driveway that was about 200 yards into his property, I knew that I was entering into a completely different country. Even though it was America, and it was a different country, it was his country. We would oftentimes go and we would do a project, and the first thing he would look at me in the project, he says, you don't know anything about this, do you? It's the first thing he'd say. So you don't know anything about this. I'm raking leaves. You don't know anything about that, do you? Grandpa, let me drive the tractor. You don't know how to drive a tractor. Will you teach me how to drive a tractor that when, when you're a little older? What, I was 16. I said, well, how, can, can I drive the tractor? 17. I got an owner's manual. You want to read the owner's manual? I said, is that how I'm going to read the, is that how I'm going to be able to drive the tractor? I want to drive the tractor. It's really simple. 17 years old, drive a tractor. I'm already driving a car. 
good grief. I can't mow the lawn. I mean, you know, come on, what's going on? Owner's manual. Read the owner's manual. Go through the owner's manual. I mean, it's unbelievable the ramifications of this, this whole thing. It was absolutely and totally unequivocally his kingdom. And I was his peasant serving at his beck and call. When Christ ascended, it says here in the scripture, when Christ ascended, he went and at his ascension in scripture, he went and sat down at the right hand of the father. His ascension validates his triumphant conquering of sin and death and the devil. Where before you and I, before we knew Christ, what held us captive, and this is the scripture, what held us captive was sin, death, and Satan himself. Christ came and on the cross, he paid our ransom. That's the gospel. He's a king. He descended. He came to earth as a servant king to serve us by dying on the cross. And the thing that I want us to begin to understand as we begin to try to make ourselves familiar with our lives and the life of Jesus is I want us to start thinking about this trajectory that Jesus was on, which was a descending trajectory. A descending trajectory. That he came to earth. To serve, to die. As we talked about last week, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but listen what it says, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a difficult message for, for me to hear because I, I, I like the ascending path. Do you? I want to make more money. I would like to have more power. I'd like to have more things. I'd like to continue to walk the steps in some way to, to have better and to be better and to not have pain and all, all kinds of things. I would have to confess to you that I really can see myself as a, kind of this life of ascension. It's really what we're taught from the very beginning of our days, is it not? We're not taught a life of descension, descending. What would descending look for you like even tomorrow? What would it mean for us to be on that kind of trajectory? In John 13, Jesus was spending time with the disciples in the upper room. And apparently there was no servant there to perform the customary washing of the guest's feet. Jesus seems to be waiting in vain for someone to play the role of the servant. And finally, he takes the basin and the towel and washes the other's feet. And when you read it in John 13, you clearly can sense the strain of embarrassment in the room as he submits to servanthood. And when was the last time I did? And when was the last time that we do? As Jesus submits to servanthood in the descending journey of his life. What would it look like for us, my friend? Many of us would like to say, well, what it looks like is me selling everything and going to Uganda. Maybe it does. But maybe it also means that you would um, decide that you're going to go mow your neighbor's lawn. It can mean many things. When Jesus came and he did this, this would be like the President of the United States walking into the dirtiest slums 
and doing the dishes and cleaning the toilets of the local crack house. That's the picture that Jesus gives us in the New Testament. It's the picture of a servant king. Jesus said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, he says in John 13, you also should wash one another's feet. He actually says that. It's in the scriptures. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I found this quote this last week. It's very interesting. It's talking about this idea of ascending and descending, and it says this, In Adam we have the mirror of ourselves, trying to confuse ourselves with the Creator, ascending above our created place to share God's glory through a higher knowledge. But in the second Adam, Christ, we see the Creator descending below His eternal rank to become less than the least of all human creatures. Jesus, our King, I believe here, is sending us, the better language would be, He's nailing, I think, for us an edict on the door of our hearts. It's not just a cute little idea that we wink at and say, yeah, we need to serve. He's actually, He actually tells us to submit to a life of servanthood. It's hard. I hate to even say it because it indicts me completely. I feel the indictment on, and in the best of ways I feel it, is what I'm saying to you. It's good that I feel it. Because I don't want to be that kind of Jesus to people. You struggle with that? I don't want to be that kind of Jesus, that descending Jesus that submitting to a life of servanthood to my wife. I want to do what I want to do. The concept of the Scriptures, when you really... I'm going to give you a blanket statement here. The concept of this idea that if we talk about, let's say if we're going to use this word here, kingdom, when you come to know Christ, you live in this kingdom and the concept that I want to share with you that, the, that you really get in the, in the scriptures as you begin to read it is you, you begin to feel, you begin to see, see this, that we, we live in what's called an occupied territory or country, if you will. Do you know what occupied territory means? Occupied country? It's a war term. And in the New Testament times, the Romans had conquered Palestine which meant that the citizens of that country were subject to those that had conquered them. In an occupied country, the citizens could be compelled to supply food, provide shelter, carry baggage, or perform any kind of service. At any moment, the citizens could feel a soldier tap, a soldier's tap on their shoulder to perform a service. This is, in fact, what happened to Simon of Cyrene when he, when he was tapped to bear the cross of Christ. Simon had to do it because he was tapped on the shoulder by a Roman soldier to say, I want you to do this. You must do it. He had to submit to it because he lived in what was called occupied territory. The Romans had come and they had conquered. 
And when you see this statement here in Ephesians, when he led captives and he ascended, you get this this feeling when you read through the Gospels, you see this revolutionary Jesus that didn't just come with a group of ideas, but came to literally take over it all in a very unique and different way as a servant. But guess what? He came over to take over us and our hearts. In an occupied country, you are no longer your own. You're not. I'm not. The people in France in World War II had been occupied by Hitler. He came, he conquered, he occupied the upper half of the country. Until the Allies came, joined together, and that was World War II. Landed on the beaches of Normandy and France, all the way to Berlin. But the people of France were occupied. They they only had so many choices. And those choices were, where am I going to find food today? How can I go find it? But they were occupied. They were conquered completely. And this is exactly, please hear this because it's so good for us to hear this. This is exactly the revolutionary plan of Christ. When, when Christ descended, he came to absolutely take over. He came to let us know that you're occupied. He says, I have come as a servant. I have conquered. And he says this, and this is the hardest thing for me to hear today. Maybe it's hard for you. He actually says this. You are not your own any longer. The way you even think about life is not your own any longer. You have been purchased, bought, Paid for by me. Your heart and life now is an occupied country, occupied by me. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 when it says, Do you not know? And yeah, we don't. This is talking to us. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We have a king. It's not about us. It's about our king. In the book of Exodus, God begins a rescue operation through very ordinary people. We somehow think that God's plan has changed. Maybe when Jesus Christ came, we've got to be extraordinary people, but I don't think that's the truth. I think it still is the same. But he begins this uh, this rescue operation, and the operation called for tremendous personal hardship and the utmost encouragement. God searched out a man who would serve him in Exodus, and who was it? It was Moses. Look at the dialogue there, by the way. Very interesting devotion for you this next week. Very convicting. God chose Moses. And the question that we have today for that little encounter in Exodus is this. Was God unreasonable with Moses in asking him to go and lead Israel? Was what God asked unfair of Moses? Was what God is asking you right now, is it unfair? Is the suffering that you're dealing with right now, is it unfair? We struggle with it, much like Moses struggled with it. But guess what? 
God owned Moses. God owns you. So, young man, I, if you are in Christ and live in this kingdom, your question is, man, I hope it's it's not so much. Wow, it's going to be great tonight because we're going to go out and I'm, we're going to have this great dinner. And this is a person in Christ now. We're going to have this great dinner and we're going to spend some time together. And uh, maybe I'll sleep over her place tonight. I hope that that happens. No, 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 no. Your body is not your own. You've been bought at a, with a price. You now have to look at a king and say, King, what? I'm your subject. You own me. What is it that you you want, young lady? Same thing, right? We're we're occupied. We have a king. We're not living down here on our own any longer. That was before we came to know Christ. The other kingdom, this is this, right? And this kingdom here has a whole theology, a whole way that it thinks about with the Lord about themselves, and so it's a real theology of self. This kingdom, starkly different. This kingdom here, I'm king. This kingdom here, occupied. A king has rights. And guess what? Jesus' rights in our life are right. They're the right rights. It's hard, isn't it? I'm right with you. Please don't hear any tone that would say that that I'm better, because I'm not. And yet the thing I love the most is is if as if Moses' issues were going to frustrate God's purposes, right? God was going to lead the children of Israel out. But he stuck in there with Moses, just like he sticks in there with us. He hangs in there. I don't know how to speak. What am I going to say? I don't know. I'm not an expert. Right, exactly. Go on. I'm God. I'll give you the words, right? I'm king. This is exactly what Lewis says in one of my favorite Lewis quotes. You guys will, you guys have all heard it before, but I, I have to say it. But this is kind of what he means, this idea, when he says, before God closed in on me, listen to that language. He says, before God closed in on me, I was in fact offered what now appears a moment of holy free choice. But I feel my decision was not so important. I was the object rather than the subject in this affair. I was decided upon. I was glad afterwards at the way it came out. But at that, but at the moment, what I heard was God saying, put down your gun and we'll talk. Those are the exact words I'm talking about. Hey, let me, uh, let me encourage you to do something before we get on to our second point. For those of you that are really wrestling this morning with what God could be doing in your life, put down your gun and talk with the Lord. Put it down and talk with your king. 
What does he have to say to you? Submit to his voice. Know that he's more right than you. Trust him. Spend time with him. He is your king who's in love with you, who's called you a son and has called you a daughter. You have an eternal future. You're in the family. He's your king. Put down your gun. Many of you have the gun of your past that you carry around in a little holster. And every time something comes up, you pull it up to your head and you shoot others and then you shoot yourself. It's continual. It's cyclical. And it's easy to see as you walk around. Many of you have many six shooters. Many of you have machine guns. Some have tanks. Some have nuclear bombs. But all of it usually ends up being like this. You don't come near my life. You don't come near my space. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be king of my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. Even many of us that have lived that life, have lived that life is a shambles. It's a, it's a crap pile. It means nothing. It has no eternal value whatsoever. So God says, put down your gun and let's talk. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to actually do that? Am I willing to do that in my relationships and community with my people, with my peeps here at 12 South? Many of you are asking what it means to be in community. I know many of you went over to Randy and Jenny's this last week and we're over at Chad and Carly's. We're just excited about what the Lord's doing in community. Many of you are asking what does community look like. And, you know, I just want you to know something. The Bible knows God does, we don't. It's just a big old mess. We just enter it into the mess because we have a perfect God and we're, we're, we're just saying, Lord, what do you have to say to us in it? Right? But the one thing I think the Lord wants us to do in community is unbuckle the gun belt and stop shooting each other, right? But this concept of being ruled is a difficult one. So our foundation for service, the first one I want you to think about this next week is this, this simple statement, is we do have a king. And the second one I want to talk with you about is this. We have work to do. This is a very unreformed thing to say. We have work to do. It is, isn't it? After all, in our reformed camps, we, we are champions of grace. And that's great. And we are, and I am. And I love that. But to ever think that God's just kind of doing this and we just kind of are these little, you know, like I used a couple weeks ago, flotation devices, you know, God's, God's still given us a mind and a body and I can still go this morning and choose Diet Coke or Coke. <laughs> I chose Diet Coke just for those of you that are worried about it. I was thinking here, look what it says. Look what it says in verse 12. Why has he given us these, these pastors and teachers to prepare God's people? Look what it says. For works of service. Well, that's hard for us to hear. So that, and why wouldn't we do works of service? So that the body of Christ may be built up. We have been given gifts so that we can perform the works of service for the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, sometimes we don't like those people. 
somebody has said that the search for servants is the great obsession of the Holy Spirit as it was the Son of God himself when he walked the earth and he said, follow me. He cried to the fishermen and I will make you fishers of men. So, in closing, what are some works of service? As it looks there, it says, to prepare God's people for works of service. And then at the end it says, as each part does its work. So what are some works of service? Let me finish by quickly saying this. The first work of service that we can do for each other, and maybe you've not heard like this before, but I think it's really very poignant for us and very important for us to hear is this. We put a knife in the heart of our narcissism. That's one of the first works of service that we do for each other. We put a knife in the heart of our narcissism. Narcissism is the inordinate fascination with oneself, one's ideas, one's lifestyle, one's likes and dislikes. It's getting uncomfortable now, isn't it? Psychoanalysts would define narcissism as this, as the intense gratification derived from admiration of one's own physical or mental attributes being a normal condition at the infantile level of personality development. I thought that was interesting because we are narcissists. Isn't it true when we're one years old? All we want to do, all we know is be fed. And look what Paul says in verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. By the waves. See, our narcissism kind of, in a, in a sense, twists our development in Christ. The way we think about service is actually crucial to actually doing service. If I think that service has to fit into my own timetable and understanding of service, then I'm not understanding point one that I have a king. The indicator for for service isn't convenience, if it fits our schedule, if I like doing it, if it feels good, if I'll get recognition. No, we start asking different questions. We start asking and are starting to want to become aware of what God could be asking us. God, what are the areas that you are opening a door for me to get my hands dirty? That could be anything. God, in what ways would you like me to serve my wife, my husband, my friends? How can I think about my life differently as a servant? Maybe that looks like listening to them. Maybe that looks like confronting a friend. Maybe that looks like submitting to a friend. Maybe that looks like giving something to a friend. Maybe that looks like being willing to be served by somebody. Did you know that many of us find it easier to serve than to be served? That's a real frustrating thing because what's actually taking place in the body of Christ is we don't serve each other because nobody wants to be served. And why don't we want to be served? Because we're self-sufficient, narcissistic, selfish people. We want everybody to know that we've got it together and we're self-sufficient and we can handle it. Somebody needed help about three, four weeks ago. And they said, I don't want to come to the church for help because I don't want charity. Well, What? It's okay to come and say I need. But we don't we have a we have a real problem with doing that. And for those of you that have a problem with receiving service, you need to think about that. You need to say, Hey Lord, I need I need to think about where that's coming from. God, what would you like me to do that would require massive uncomfortableness in my life? God, I'm an artist. 
How do I serve with my music? God, I'm an artist. How do I serve with my painting? God, I'm a student. How do I serve with my time? God, I'm a cook. How do I serve with my cooking? God, I've got money. How do I serve with giving? Those are the good questions. Those are the questions that we need to be asking more on a regular basis. I had a great conversation with a brother that goes to another church yesterday. He's just spent time with me. We began to talk about his his house that he has out on Center Hill Lake. I asked him if we can use the house for a retreat, another retreat we're doing. And he looks at me and he says, oh, of course, Joel. I felt so weird asking him about it because I felt like like what I just said to you, like I, I feel needy, you know. I, I felt he'd maybe look at me and go, just spend some of the church's money and go get a hotel room, you know. I get all. Have you ever done that? I'm not going to do all that because I create all these scenarios. Have you ever done done that? I create unbelievable scenarios, and these scenarios I create actually prevent me from actually in stepping into the whole thing. It's like the worst thing you could possibly do. So I'm kind of I say you know can we can, is there any way that we can use the lake house and and then I, I kind of inside my heart's going you know because I'm I'm expecting I'm expecting. Uh, a relative that I have in my head, I won't name this person, to to shame me and to say, well, sure, let me make sure you guys got to clean up the, the, you know, the, the refrigerator and make sure the door, you know, all of a sudden I'm going, oh gosh, you know. He, he looks at me and he says this, he says, you need to understand, he says, I'm just, I, I, I don't, I'm a caretaker of that house. He owns the house. It's his house, his mortgage, I'm sure it's paid off. I'm just a caretaker of that house. That's, that's, that's the Lord's house. And so the concept that he's, get, he's, he's sharing there is a real kingdom occupied concept. It's, this body is not mine. It's, it's the Lord's. I, this money, this, my time, my music, what, whatever it is. It's a good thing to think about, isn't it? Thank you for being my friend and listening. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning so much for um, for who you are, and uh, it's it's convicting for us. And we struggle through these scriptures, and I struggle through them. We have a very difficult time understanding that you're our king, and and we we don't want you to be king. We want to be king. We don't want to we don't want to serve. We 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 we. We don't like that. We kind of like our lives and we, we can almost create this existence almost like separate from you. And Lord, I, I would just pray that, you, that we'd be convicted. I pray that we would, we would even be convicted by the image that we have in the upper room of what you did with those disciples. I, I'm, I'm very convicted by that. And Lord, I pray that we would just walk that descending journey into what that looks like in our lives. So give us the strength and the grace and the mercy to uh, to even do works of service. And I would pray that in all those things that we do, that your name would be glorified and we wouldn't. That we would even be more comfortable with that. Pray all this in your name. Amen.